Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. In today's episode, we head to the northeast of England, to the beautiful county of Yorkshire, which has produced some work from great authors, including the Bronte sisters, who wrote, among others, the classics Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. Aaron Bram Stoker wrote Dracula whilst he was staying in the coastal town of Whitby. And of course, we can't mention Yorkshire without referencing that it's the home to the greatest football club in the world, the mighty Leeds United. Lithrop Lane, about 25 miles south of the city of Leeds in South Yorkshire, is well known locally as an area used for dogging. Now, dogging is a peculiar British slang term for having sex in public places while other people watch. The phrase is thought to have come from the term walking the dog, as dog walkers used to happen across couples getting rather amorous outdoors. This practice usually occurs in car parks and woodland, and it frequently involves strangers in either an active or voyeuristic role. Lithrop Lane is so well known for public sex that a local sexual health charity, the Brunswick Centre, recently split opinion in the area by nailing bags of condoms to the trees for people to use, thinking that if people are going to be having sex in public, potentially with strangers, let's at least keep them healthy. On Tuesday, September the 8th, 2009, Seema Hussain was driving through Denby Dale in South Yorkshire and had reached Litherop Lane. This was an area she often visited following the death of her husband in a car accident nearby in 2006. As she drove down the narrow road, she saw a silver Audi A4 accelerate quickly out of a lay-by and into the road ahead of her. Where the Audi had been, she saw a Jaguar sovereign car in the lay-by with its boot open and on looking carefully, she saw a man on the floor at the back of the car. He wasn't moving. Her own father had suffered a heart attack on the road, fallen unconscious, and she assumed the same had happened to this man. She flashed her lights and beeped her horn to try and get his attention, but the man still didn't move. Looking more closely, she saw to her horror that there was blood on the ground all over the lifeless body, and with a shiver, she called the police to report a potential fatality. Detective Superintendent Chris Thompson of the Homicide and Major Inquiry team in Yorkshire, received the call from Seema at about 10.30pm. He said, We discovered the body of a man in his mid-40s. He had sustained fatal gunshot wounds and a murder inquiry has commenced and a detailed forensic inquiry is ongoing. This would appear to be a brutal execution-style murder and I would appeal for anybody who is in the area of Lithrop Lane who moves in anything suspicious or anybody who has any information regarding this murder, to contact the police. Detective Thompson said there was no clear motive, and he would not say if the man had been killed elsewhere or was murdered at the scene. Joe Roberts, who was clerk to the High Hoyland Parish, she said that Litherop Lane was notorious for seedy sex gatherings. She said, It's well known for open-air sex, and has been for quite a number of years. You can have up to a dozen cars parking down there at any one time, and you know full well that they aren't there for a picnic. There are times when you can have difficulty getting past because there are so many parked up. Detective Thompson said he was aware of the area's reputation. He added, All aspects of this area are being looked at as part of the investigation. The investigation was named Operation Peebles. Locally, the strong feeling was that crime had a sexual element, 
but Thompson had already discounted this theory, as due to the large number of legal recreational drugs found at the scene and the execution-like method of the murder, both of these suggested to him that this was a drug steal that had gone very badly wrong. In September 2009, Christopher Hartley lived in a five-bedroom detached house in the small village of Tingley, a rural area just a few miles south of Leeds city centre. In the village, he was known as a quiet, polite man who very much kept himself to himself. His main job was a car dealer and business appeared to be thriving as Christopher owned four houses, including a place in Spain, and he had some lovely cars, which included a Bentley, a Range Rover and a limousine. But beneath this veneer of respectability, Christopher was a hardened criminal with a range of business interests. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs had no records at all for him. He'd managed to fly completely below the radar and he didn't have to go through the tedium that's paying tax. Look, I know it's a pain all around the globe. No one wants to pay tax. But the sheer incompetence of HMRC in the UK make any dealings with them as much fun as, well, sticking a fork in your eye with hot chilies on the fork. Christopher used a number of aliases and he had given false statements on mortgage applications in which he claimed to be earning more than 10000 a month as a sales manager or 135000 a year as an operations manager. At this time he had heavy outgoings with outstanding mortgages alone in excess of £1 million. One of his other business interests was a marketing agency called AG Associates which was listed at his home address. Another was Eastern Delights, which was involved in the tourism business. This wasn't your average package tour business to Spain, but the seedier side of the sex tourism business. This offered men the chance to spend 10 nights in the Philippines with a girl who never says no. For £1,695, clients were promised return flights to Manila, airport transfers, 10 nights bed and breakfast in a four-star hotel and a 24 our tour guide come escort to attend your every need. The Eastern Delights website features explicit pictures of the Filipino girls who would supposedly be waiting on arrival for customers. The website says, let's cut to the chase, gentlemen. Wouldn't you like 10 nights on a paradise island with the girl of your dreams, the girl who fulfills your fantasies and never says no? Look no further because this is the answer to your dreams. 10 nights and 10 nights of a stunning companion whose only wish is to attend to your every need. It adds, This is an excellent opportunity for you to fulfil every fantasy you've ever had with the most stunning girls imaginable. The website claims there are no hidden extras. The only things clients are expected to pay for are food, drink, cigarettes and insurance. Now, this is one of those businesses, like knife throwing for example, which I just can't help wondering how you get involved with it in the first place, especially knife throwing. I mean, how, how do you know that you possess that talent? Christopher's main income seemed to come from drugs. A bungalow in the grounds of his home, which he bought for 310000 two years earlier, was actually a working drugs factory. At this time in 2009, the bungalow contained almost 20,000 ecstasy tablets about two kilos of skunk cannabis and drums containing tens of kilos of chemicals imported from China for use in producing so-called natural high substances or legal highs. 
These are now banned in the UK. There was a cement mixer in the property and a punch press for making pills. It's quite clear that Christopher wasn't playing at this business. It was a professional, well-equipped operation. Christopher was openly gay. For over 15 years, he'd been in an on-off relationship with his business partner, 35-year-old David Large. Christopher was an overpowering partner and their relationship was described as often abusive and violent. Large didn't see himself as gay, though he'd had four or five sexual relationships with Christopher over the last 15 years. However, via Facebook, he'd now met a woman called Dawn Mallinson. After meeting on Facebook, they got to know each other in an online poker room in May 2008. Large had told Dawn he was single, and after lots of online messaging, they finally met face-to-face in November that year. Their relationship developed, and Dawn quickly fell in love with Large, saying that he treated her like a real queen, buying her gifts and flowers and calling her ten times a day. Dawn felt he was the perfect match for her, and they shared similar goals for the future, as they both wanted the same things, which was a long-term future together with marriage and children. When Christopher heard about Dawn, he wasn't happy at all. Christopher was a man who was used to getting what he wanted, and he made his feelings very clear. He smashed the window of Large's Mercedes, and he made threatening calls to Dawn, telling her to leave Large alone. This was enough to spook Large, he knew what Christopher was capable of, and he told Dawn that their relationship was over in July 2009. He still loved her, and she loved him, but Large knew that Christopher was not someone to be messed with. Meanwhile, outside their personal relationship, business continued as normal. One of their careers for the drugs business was 39-year-old Simon Mullen, who had met Large in prison. Large allocated the work carried out by Mullen, who hadn't yet met Christopher. A father of one daughter, Mullen had convictions for manslaughter, driving offences and dishonesty. He was seen as a bit of a cheeky Geordie chappy with a good sense of humour. Mullen had worked in so-called normal jobs before, including on offshore rigs, but at this time he was unemployed and on benefits. At first, Large had just employed him in the car business, but as their friendship and the trust between the two of them increased, Mullen also started to play a role in the drug side of things. He regularly transported consignments of tablets back to South Shields in exchange for a fee of £500 for each trip, which usually involved a consignment of around about 10,000 tablets. He was paid cash by the buyer in South Shields and he would pass the money on to Large when he came down to Leeds to pick up the next batch. Mullen hadn't met and he didn't know much about Christopher. He wasn't aware that Christopher was gay or that he and Large had had a sexual relationship in the past. Mullen had, however, got to know Large's girlfriend, Dawn Mallinson, pretty well through Facebook, and the three now lived close to each other in South Shields. Mallinson was very upset that Large had ended their relationship. She spoke to Mullen about why Large wanted to end things, and he revealed that Large's business partner, Christopher Hartley, was infatuated with her boyfriend, and that he was the one stopping her and Large from being together. Mullen let slip to Mallinson that Large had told him he was sick to death of Christopher's dominant and bossy behaviour, and actually he still wanted to be with her. Mullen told her that Christopher was a gay man and Large wasn't. 
Madison, of course, spoke to Large about this and she was heartbroken and angry that it was Christopher who was keeping the two from being together. She hated Christopher just based on what she'd heard from Large. Large later told her that he was going to have Christopher taken care of so they could be together. Now, Mallinson, she she knew that Large was no angel and she assumed that this meant that Christopher was going to be beaten up or similar, just taught a lesson. But no, Large told her he was going to arrange for Christopher to meet someone and be shot. He was quite specific, telling Mallinson that he was going to arrange for him to go to meet somebody to lay by at 10 o'clock at night. Someone was going to meet him and exchange some drugs, so it just looked like a drug dealer had gone wrong. Mallinson didn't really believe this was actually going to happen. Surely it was all just macho talk. However, it became apparent that Large was plotting something, and he asked Mallinson if he could use her Facebook account to discuss the details with Mullin so that it couldn't be traceable to his own account. Mallinson became increasingly worried as Large even began to talk about the sort of gun that would be used to harm Christopher. She logged into Facebook while Large and Mullen were chatting and she managed to see parts of the conversation. She could see there was some reference to a door and a hinge and Large later told her that he'd been talking in code with Mullen and it referred to a gun and bullets. Mallinson, she couldn't still believe that the plan was serious and that Large would be capable of actually killing someone. She told him not to tell her any more about it. On the evening of 8th of September, Christopher pulled out of his drive in his Jaguar, headed to Litherop Lane to conduct a drugs deal with Mullen. He had a number of tablets with him, and it was a standard deal to exchange them for cash. This was nothing out of the ordinary, and he had no reason to feel there was anything wrong. On arriving at the scene... Mullen got out of his silver Audi and walked towards the Jaguar. He calmly pointed a sawn-off shotgun at a terrified Christopher, who knew exactly what was coming, and fired twice at point-blank range, once in the head and once in the chest. Christopher fell to the floor behind his car, scattering the drugs over the floor. After briefly checking, Christopher was dead. Mullen rapidly got back in his car and pulled out of the lay-by heading north to South Shields. Once police had started to look at Christopher's business dealings, it was clear that there were a number of people who potentially want him killed. Their first stop, their first line of inquiry, was his business partner, David Large. Large, however, had a cast-iron alibi, as he was in London all day on business to the day that Christopher was killed. Unknown to police at this stage, on returning from London, he headed to Christopher's house, where he removed £100,000 from a safe, and then headed straight to Mallinson's house. He arrived at her place in the early hours of the next day with £100,000 of cash in Christopher's bag. His first words to her were, It's done. And the two could now be together. When she asked about the bag full of cash, he explained to Mallinson that they couldn't keep it all. He would have to pay out half of the money. Mallinson didn't ask any more questions. For now... She was happy that she was together with Large and Christopher was finally out of the picture. The next day, Mallinson was at a relative's home when she saw a news bulletin about the murder of Christopher Hartley. It was a strange moment for Mallinson, who described it as reality finally slapping her in the face and how she felt sick to the very pit of her stomach. It must have been incredibly odd for her 
to have been in a room full of people who weren't really paying attention to the background noise of the TV when she knew exactly what had happened and who was responsible. Mallinson managed to put her feelings of dread to one side as Large moved into her home later that day, bringing clothes and shaving stuff with him and acting like nothing had happened. Mallinson tried to forget about the events and to look forward to the future together and the couple even booked a a holiday break in North Yorkshire. At police headquarters, Operation People hadn't yet led to any arrests. Large was suspected of involvement, but with no forensic evidence or witnesses to the murder, well, except for Seema, who had seen a silver Audi pulling out of a lay-by, making progress was tricky, and it looked as though the professional nature of the hit could make solving the case incredibly difficult. But police received a lucky break a month into the investigation. This came about due to the sloppiness of Mullen and Large, who, although they were careful about talking in code on Facebook, they'd both carried and used their own mobile phones. Almost straight after the murder, DC Alex Grummet from Operation People made contact with their local forensic specialist telecoms advisor to identify the best-serving cell sites to the actual scene of the crime, along with the home address and other known addresses used by David Large. This initial action, and brief, which was to form part of three subsequent phases, was allocated to cell site engineer John Tarpey. As the local cell site expert and expert witness, he conducted detailed site surveys and analysis of best-serving cells at the various relevant locations of interest. Working closely with the investigation team, utilising a mobile on the O2 network, it was revealed that the gunman travelled from South Shields to the area of the murder scene on the night of the crime. Cell site analysis using expert site survey evidence was able to provide positive corroboration of this fact and could also place Mullen and Large simultaneously at the scene of the crime on the day before the murder using mobiles on the Orange and O2 networks. So that really demonstrated that they were involved in both the planning and the premeditation of the crime. Essentially, this evidence put Mullen at the scene of the murder at the time it was committed and showed that both he and Large had in fact cased the joints the day before. And this was enough for police to arrest both Large and Mullen. Large was arrested first, followed a few days later by Mullen. Both were charged with the murder of Christopher Hartley. The police had concluded that Large had decided that the only way he could live happily with his new girlfriend was by removing Christopher from the picture permanently. To avoid suspicion being brought on him, he went to London on the day of the murder, but the police were in absolutely no doubt that although it was Mullen who pulled the trigger, it was Large who was directing the operation. When in custody, Mullen admitted he'd become involved in transporting drugs through his close friend Large. But on the night of the killing, Mullen said he'd been due to meet up with Christopher for the first time. He said he couldn't remember precise details about phone calls he'd made to Large that day because the revenue from tablets was just 1% of his life. It was only when he was arrested that this night took on any significance for him. And Mullen totally rejected the suggestion that he'd been in the area the day before to case the location for the killing, despite the police having the evidence showing he was there. Mullen said he learnt about Christopher's murder two days after the shooting, but said he did not realise that the killing took place close to where he was due to meet him. 
He said he'd not given the situation at the time a second thought because he hadn't done anything and he certainly hadn't killed him. When police confronted him with Dawn Mallinson's allegations that he and Large used her Facebook account using code words to discuss a gun and bullets, he insisted the code words referred only to the tablets they were dealing and he didn't know anybody who had guns. Mullen said that he had driven to West Yorkshire with 5000 in cash on the passenger seat of his vehicle. He said Large told him to meet Christopher near the Cedar Court Hotel off Junction 39 VM1, but when he arrived in the area, there was no sign of him. During a phone call, Large told Mullen to wait for Christopher, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to sit in the car waiting, and so he drove off home. The police delved into Mullen's Facebook account, and they felt it provided an interesting insight into his mind around the time of the murder. His updates included crucially on September the 8th at 6.12pm. Now, this is just before he would have set off to shoot Christopher. He said the following, And here, dot dot dot, we, dot dot dot, go. Then on September the 11th, I haven't got a bad bone in my body. September the 12th, Where's all the serial killers these days? We've not had a good selection of seemingly random brutal murders since Dennis Nielsen. And don't give me that Harold Shipman. Sticking a needle in a biddy's bum and twocking her savings isn't real murder. How are you bedroom psychos, you loners? Let's make this autumn one to remember. Get killing and blame it on God. September the 16th. I am like God and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. He cannot above me, nor I beneath him be. September the 19th. My mind is itchy. October the 3rd. The criminal uses insight to justify heinous acts. Now, this introspection is almost like something out of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Well, (laughs) almost. More incriminating evidence was that straight after the murder... Unemployed Mullen went on a £25,000 spending spree. Mallinson told police that Large gave Mullen some cash on the 17th of September. He took her new Vauxhall Astra to the northeast to meet Mullen, as it wouldn't be recognised. Now, Mallinson had headed off to work at the care home where she was administrator, but she later got a phone call from Large asking her to ring Mullen to tell him to meet him at a car park near the seafront. The police believe this was where Large had given Mullen his fee for the killing from the £100,000 in the suitcase he brought back to Dawn Mallinson's house straight after the murder. When police recovered this suitcase, there was just £48,000 left, which backs up this theory. Mullen spent the money well, and he spent it quickly. More than 3900 on a 63-inch TV and Blu-ray home entertainment system on September the 22nd and £1,500 in cash the following day for a 50-inch television for his girlfriend, 2369 on furniture, 3500 on a transit van. He spent £2,490 on a stereo system and several thousand more pounds on repairs to his treasured car, a Mitsubishi Evo, which he referred to as his baby. He was even looking ahead to secure his future career options, as he spent £1,400 on a course to renew his offshore certificate. Maybe realised his days in drugs were over. Mullen denied that this was the money he received for killing Christopher. 
He said he'd been paid £20,000 in instalments by large after he signed documents for a remortgage involving a property his friend owned near his home. He claims he spent the money revamping his flat because he'd recently started a new relationship with his girlfriend and he wanted to impress her. He said that much of the money was spent on on dull household items like a new bed, shower curtain, toilet seat and a chest of drawers. In 2010, the trial of David Large and Simon Mullen began at Bradford Crown Court. Both denied murder during the trial, which lasted seven weeks. Large completely dismissed the incriminating evidence of Dawn Mallinson, telling the court that her account was complete fantasy. He told them she was a woman scorned, a very insecure woman who suffered from mental issues. When Mullen gave evidence, he broke down in tears. The prosecution suggested this was because his false story was unravelling, which he denied. He was saying it was because he was accused of doing something horrendous and his family and girlfriend were sat listening to this in the public gallery. The jury took just over 11 hours to unanimously find both men guilty of murder. Judge James Goss told the pair that the primary motive for the killing had been Large's desire to be rid of the controlling and dominating influence of Christopher Hartley. He added, this was a calculated, cold-blooded and brutal crime. Before the judge passed sentence, he heard details of the devastating effect Christopher's death had had on his family. The court heard that his mother Vera knew little about her son's illegal activities and regarded him as her treasured son. Brother Stephen Hartley said that his mother had treated Large as a fourth son and the family would have to live with this betrayal for the rest of their lives. David and Christopher were always together. Indeed, he'd been part of this family for many, many years, he said. We trusted him, as he was Chris's closest friend. David Large sat in her living room after Chris had died and pretended to grieve with our mum. He told us he was helping the police all that he could. The judge said that the significant degree of planning and the use of a firearm meant that a minimum term of 30 years was appropriate in each case before they could even be considered for release on parole. During the course of the investigation, over £70,000 in cash was discovered at Large's house and in his car. Using the proceeds of Crime Act, this cash was forfeited after it was deemed to be as a result of further criminal activity and it was kept by the court to be used to pay for anti-crime projects in the local area. Detective Superintendent Thompson of West Yorkshire Police said, David Large was a man steeped in crime who lived in opulent lifestyle, owning fast cars and large houses, both at home and abroad, all of which were funded through fraud and drugs. When he wanted to split from his partner and lover of 15 years, Large carefully planned with Simon Mullen to lure Christopher Hartley to a secluded spot where he was shot through the head at point-blank range in what was a premeditated, cold-blooded and merciless killing. Following the killing... Large and Mullen concocted a complex alibi, deliberately attempting to mislead the police that this was a drug deal gone wrong. However, under investigation, this alibi unravelled to reveal the extent of their lies and deception. Large and Mullen are fantasists and believe they committed the perfect crime. Like others before them, they now face the consequences of their actions. A year later, in May 2011, Both men were back in court to appeal against their convictions. They claimed that a lack of any forensic evidence, witnesses or CCTV, combined with police corruption 
and errors by the judge in directing the jury had led to incorrect verdicts. Mrs Judge Rafferty, who heard the appeal with Lord Justice Richards and Judge David Paget, rejected the appeal in less than an hour and a half. It's hard to feel too much sympathy for anybody involved in this case. David Large and Simon Mullen will become even more bitter about events as their long jail sentences drag on. Was murder really the only way for Large to free himself from Christopher? I guess this is a question that he contemplates every day. Even the real victim here, Christopher Hartley, he funded his lifestyle from the drugs trade, which, as we know, it causes so much knock-on misery in so many ways to people's lives. However, this lifestyle, although it can be lucrative financially, it holds inherent dangers, of which Christopher would have been very much aware. Most interesting to me is the the role played by Dawn Mallinson here, and I'd suggest that she's got a lot to ponder over the coming years. In reality, she has the rest of her life to think about how she, and she alone really, could have saved Christopher Hartley's life. In court, she was asked why she didn't make a telephone call of the day of the murder that would have saved him. She said, I felt guilty about not making that call, and I've thought about it ever since, and I'll think about it for the rest of my life, knowing I could have stopped it. We all like to think that we would do the right thing ahead of self-interest, especially where literally a matter of life or death. And we would, wouldn't we? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the weekly UK True Crime podcast. Please check out our website at uktruecrime.com. Sign up for our newsletter there. Hear about some of the exciting plans we have for this year. If you're feeling particularly generous, why not go to iTunes and leave us a great review? Either way, we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.